Will to DIY is a mansplaining podcast that is not so much mansplaining as man curious. Hello and welcome back. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about the post Penopticon today. And as a recap, the Penopticon was originally a prison prison designed by Jeremy Bentham, and that idea was taken by Foucault, and it was extended into a way to consider power, discipline, and punishment, and how people could basically be trained to internalize somebody else's ideas of normalcy. Now, there's been a lot of critique of Foucault's notion of the gaze and how observation and examination being used to discipline doesn't really account for a lot of things we find in a broader society, and also in corporations. So today we're going to talk a little bit about Gilles Deleuze, who uh, in the 80s, he brought up a lot of great alternate ways of thinking that sync much better with the sort of post-panoptic nature of today, especially engaging with all the technology that we have now that they didn't have back then. We interrupt your thoughts to bring you thoughts from our sponsors. Welcome to Corporation Control, where we don't control you. We're looking for hardworking, driven employees with an entrepreneurial spirit. A real go-getter who doesn't believe in the welfare state. Simply click on our software for 14 hours a day, then go home and you get to be yourself. Jim here likes to wear a banana costume at home, slather himself in peanut butter and worship Tom Cruise. Or is it Kanye now, Jim? <laughs> Same difference. Anyway, our team here at Control Corp, we're a family. We like to call it a family team. But without any of that pesky concern or guilt you get from your actual family, as a matter of fact, our family promises not to even remember your name, much less worry about your medical conditions. We will not bother you even if you're dying. That's how much we respect your individuality. You get to be you by yourself on our family team. Part 1. Discipline or Control if you lived in a sovereign society, this would be one with a king or a tyrant or somebody who has absolute power. They're really only concerned with, and they only really see, the disposition of society or citizens as an aggregate, as Deleuze would say. It's not really individual by individual. It's sort of an average of behavior that's considered. How happy are they? How sad are they? And occasionally you make some uh, examples to emphasize your power. In a disciplined society, which would be different, this is a little bit more of a Foucault society, Power can be dispersed and hidden in various ways to increase conformity. It's not on the aggregate, but it's really a focus on the individual. And this is much more like Orwell's 1984, where you had doublespeak and you had citizens watching each other. Uh, you also had technology that was tracking people. Bureaucracy is one way through sort of policy and hierarchy and technology. It's one way to maintain discipline. And another way is for people to actually socially control those around them through modeling behavior or ostracizing people. Uh, coercion is usually left to the state because, as Haggerty and Erickson have pointed out, we have moved from disciplining the body to, quote, productive soul training for the capitalist machine. However, because power and control has learned to remain dispersed and hidden, it tends to kind of move across institutions and networks. This allows it to expand the notion of normalcy to such a degree that it can actually sort of manifest unforeseen consequences in unforeseen ways. Deleuze goes on with this to sort of bring up this third type of society, this control society. And in this model, Deleuze brings up corporations because they don't actually desire progress for the whole nation state, right? That's not their goal. They have no goal of long-term stability. It's really short-term rewards by controlling tasks. 
The example they give, or Deleuze gives, is of a carpenter. The goal is not to create a good, steady carpenter, but to know how and where to put the nail. The skill of the carpenter is merely sort of a code to the corporation, and thus the individual is a coded figure, who may be necessary one day, and the next day the corporation doesn't need him at all. So what ends up happening is the corporation's needs or desires end up changing the fiber of a society as people train themselves according to these market modulations so that they can continue to work. But of course, these modulations are mostly hidden from the citizens. So whatever skills you're working on, they're really on a precarious foundation for any kind of long-term stability. Deleuze says that in a discipline or kind of a Foucaultian society, the individual has a signature and a number that determines where they are amongst the masses. And so I literally do think of my written signature and my social security number or driver's license in this case. But in a control society, they don't really care about that. In a control society, your skill, your task of putting the nail exactly where it needs to be placed in the wood, this is transmitted into this abstract code, this digital code. And Deleuze says that that code is a password. There's no secret handshake. There's no watchwords of some sort of social contract or anything. There's no social conformity that's needed. You just need to execute your task. Has this ever happened to you? You go to the DMV, you take a number, you got all your paperwork and stuff, they make you wait in line for two or three hours, finally get up to the front desk and they ask you for your ID. Well, you finally dig through, you pull it out, and then they ask for your social security card. Well, okay. Well, then they ask for your birth certificate. Pfft, who carries that? Then they finally say, sir, go stand over there by that screen. We're going to take a picture of you. And still, they say they can't confirm that it's actually you. Well, you're standing right there. Sir, do you happen to remember your password? Well, what password? I have about a thousand. Well, you can avoid all this mess and clutter with this handy dandy little chip that we will embed right behind your ear. Just plug it in every night while you sleep, we'll download your dreams, and you'll be considered a certified Clear Connect verified consumer. You'll breeze through all airport and DMV checkpoints. No hassle, no mess, no fuss. We make your life easy, we make your life safe. Part 2 Okay, let's take a second to recap this shift from panoptic discipline to post-panoptic control. I feel like there's really, on a personal level, this kind of seduction with what Foucault points out. I think it's a bit more simple to divide the world into the oppressor and the oppressed. Uh, it's sort of authoritarian, and you always have this individual underdog. And of course, this is a simplification of what Foucault did. But it sometimes allows me to occasionally recognize the process, and then I get to feel like I'm a bit woke, and then I can start harboring these vague notions of rebelling against Big Brother, even though I don't know how to do that. Now, when we're in a control society, we talk about flows. And these are ever-shifting forces most often secured or made real by desires. The flows, which is really the way power moves, can become fixed temporarily as what they call assemblages or access points where desires merge and collide. This is the point where asymmetries exist, and we all know asymmetries allow for domination, control, or governance. So this is the space where power plays out. In a control system, we're really molded through our desires. The control takes place when we're granted or denied access. So in simple terms, you don't have to watch every sheep or even cage them, you just train them where to go with the feed. One way to kind of think about this is your passport. If you go to borders or airports, this passport can either grant or deny you access. It functions as your password. 
So access to gated content usually requires a password. So if you want to play a new game that's out, well, you basically need an account. And with that account is going to come a password. And then you must enter through a digital access point with your password in order to fulfill your desire to play this game. These access points are really known as surveillance assemblages, which are, and I'll quote, consisting of a multiplicity of heterogeneous objects whose unity comes solely from the fact that these items function together, that they work together as a functional entity. So what do these surveillance assemblages do? Well, they're recording machines that abstract human bodies from territorial settings. Hence, when people say things like to deterritorialize, it's to remove the context of territory. It's to reduce or abstract something. So what's the point of abstracting humans into these discrete flows? Well, it's really to map out reproducible events, so like your behavior. Now, what if you want to stop this? Well, really, I don't even know where you begin to look. Power and control has become so diffuse, so fluid, it's so beyond governmental policy right now. I mean, we're even voluntarily complicit in manufacturing these flows of ourselves, these fragmented reproductions of ourselves, by giving away more and more of ourselves. Deleuze ended up coining this term, the individual. This is the divided individual. And it's kind of a reflection of when our society fragments, so do we. We are now these fragmented streams. We can be seen in a multiplicity of ways at all times. We're not only the consumer, but we're also the purchasing behavior. So we can at once be an entity that's targeted and manipulated in a capitalist system, but we're also a pattern of behaviors to be analyzed. So this bodiless body of yours, your recorded behaviors that's out there, these fragmented streams, it's also known as your data double. And this can be mined through data surveillance, so digital surveillance, of course, uh, which most often is mapping out whatever it is that compels you, whatever desire you have that you lack. This data double, much like your password, is extremely transferable. It's mobile. And that means that as a digital entity, it's also easily comparable to others who are similar to it or dissimilar. And so, yes, when you're online, you're voluntarily giving away a lot of information, such as your name, maybe your credit card number, your sexual preferences, or the fact that maybe you like men in banana costumes. I don't know. But more importantly for the corporation is that your behavior patterns, uh, they formulate this surplus data or exhaust data. And this is where they get to know you so well that they can subtly manipulate you. They can tell when you're fragile or lonely and get you to purchase something, perhaps a nice banana costume. Or they can also influence who you vote for. And I think this is maybe the difficult part here is that we're increasingly losing track of the watched and the watcher who does watch the watchman. Well, in a system of multiplicities like this, it's probably a naive question to even think about binaries like that. In a control society, it's what we would call rhizomatic. That is, it's basically flat without traditional hierarchies. And it has spread into everything, interlinking multiple assemblages with multiple flows. So the guard and the inmate relationship, you know, in the prison, it's always sort of being codependent and hierarchical. There's definitely sort of defined roles and outcomes. Now, despite class or wealth, I, we're all a password somewhere with a digital double. The president and the pauper, the guard and the inmate, they all have digital data doubles. And these are made from mountains of digital surveillance that has been scrutinized and run through algorithms. So... What exactly is it when you get online and you strut this sort of unique curated personality, this version of yourself on social media for viewers? I mean, we know it's not necessarily the real you, but that desire for social interaction that's out there to see and to be seen, that's a very deep, rich human trait. But in so doing it, we end up handing over our behavior patterns on yourself and anyone else that's watching, 
and we have no idea what anyone's doing with this data. I mean, all we know is that it's happening, and we assume they're going to sell something to us, and we know that this can't be good. The process has really become hidden and obfuscated. They're layered behind multiple companies, attorneys, thousands of pages of terms and conditions, until the whole thing becomes so opaque, so discreet, so difficult. And yet, it's also so very, very subtle that we end up sort of swallowing our queasy reservations for the thrill to keep participating. All right, thanks for tuning in. Next episode, I hope to tackle this quandary a little bit more where we're going to get into surveillance capitalism with Shoshana Zuboff, the Panopticon of Time, which is Walmart, me, and Trevor Peglin and some art. Maybe you can make this a little more I fun. Also thanks. my pants, which is And to finish us off, I have promised the inventor of the reflective intelligence meter a few last words. Warm now, but it will be cold later. But not like your Panopticon cell. It has to be made just perfectly if it's actually spherical. It would do regression lines of perspective, both on your place there and the fact that no corner could be unseen. I propose a Panopticon to rote. Sorry, to rotate. It could be rote. I'm not too sure, but... If you built a spherical panopticon, fuck, son of a bitch. I'll take two on that. Okay, clap. Action. If you were to have a spherical panopticon in low Earth orbit spinning rapidly, then all of the gravity would go out towards the outside. The only real problem with this panopticon would be the fact that you would only see a bird's eye view of your cellmates. As you, the viewer, are also a prisoner. But more importantly, you'd only see the tops of their heads, unless they were laying down. It's gravity and science. You have to watch out for those things. They tend to be right. Unlike the Panopticon, which is dead wrong.